Welcome to episode 8 of Pub Crawl, a publishing podcast about reading, writing, books, and occasionally booze. I'm your host, S.J. Jones, called J.J. I'm an author and erstwhile editor. And I'm your co-host, Kelly Van Sant. I am a contracts manager and a freelance editor. We are both contributors with the Publishing Crawl blog, and together we have over 15 years of industry experience. And today's topic is our second NaNoWriMo installment, Mm -hmm. and it's about how to keep going. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep, because (laughs) this is right around the time that we all want to give up. (laughs) Yes. But we're not going to give up, even though I may have contemplated giving up. We are in the second week, so we're not quite halfway there yet. So, mm-hmm. of course, as of this recording, uh, November has only started. But when this episode goes live, it will definitely be halfway through, close to halfway through the month of, of November. So mm-hmm. we got to keep going. I know the middle is always the hardest part for a lot of people uh, in, in both writing and in doing anything. The middle is always the hardest part because mm-hmm. there's nothing exciting going on. But right. <laughs> <laughs> So this is this is our podcast to try and and motivate people and to give people the tools to sit down and just keep plugging on. You know, this is too hard, or I don't have time, mm-hmm. or whatever. So um, I don't know. Do you want to do a check in mm-hmm. about how we're how we're doing in our own NaNoWriMo projects first? Sure. Um, so. Right now, today it's November 4th, so it's the fourth day of NaNoWriMo. Um, I have not done any of my writing at all for today, so <laughs> my plan is to record the podcast, and then I'm going to be up a little bit late tonight doing uh, doing some writing. Um, yep, same. Yep. <laughs> and I am already behind, so um, I hit my word goal on day one, and then on day two and day three, um, I averaged slightly less than... Uh, what my daily word count should be. So I'm a little behind, so I'm feeling the pressure. Uh, But as of right now, I have 3,091 words, which is more words than I have ever completed on an NaNoWriMo project. Yay! (laughs) Yeah, so it's not that many words in grand total, but it's way more than I've ever written for NaNoWriMo, and it's the most that I have written in uh, a significant amount of time. And so it feels um, like a success to me. I'm, I'm really excited, even though I'm a little bit behind where uh, my target would ideally be. But uh, but I'm chugging along. It's it's going pretty well. I've been writing every day. So that's huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you? How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, I mean, in terms of word count, I'm actually a little bit ahead. So I figured if I don't hit my word count today, I, I have a little bit of padding to uh-huh. to help me out. But I, I'm actually less worried about word count so much as... So, you know, November is when daylight savings happens. Yes. And, and you and I the both... Worst. Yeah. We both hate daylight savings and we both have a seasonal affective disorder. Oh, it's so awful. It is. Yeah. It is. It is the absolute worst because I am the opposite of a vampire. As mm-hmm. soon as the sun goes down, I immediately shut off. Mm-hmm. And so that is actually my biggest struggle right now. It's not necessarily getting the words out. Uh, I because I've done it before, I know I can do it again. So I'm not necessarily worried about that aspect of it. But for me, right now is 
finding, digging deep to find the energy to write mm-hmm. after errands after going to work. I mean, some things have to get sacrificed. I understand. And for me right now, that's the gym, which is terrible. (laughs) But, um, I just, I'm trying to think about like, do I have time to blog for pub crawl and do this podcast and write NaNoWriMo? And the answer is honestly, no. Mm -hmm. Um, and go to the gym at the same time. So you know what? On the, I'll make it up on the weekends. Um, but that that's me right now. I'm I'm struggling with with finding the energy to to write. Um, so anyway, I'm sure many of you are probably dealing with the same problems that we are. That mm-hmm. either finding the energy is difficult, or finding the motivation is difficult, or figuring out what to write next is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all problems that we all have when we are drafting a book. So we do have some tips and tricks to kind of help you through the middle today. Um, And I'll start with one that helps me. I am, as I had mentioned last week, I am a pantser. I don't work from an outline. I can't. Um, I I did have a very loose outline of what I thought I was going to write, only (laughs) to to be completely surprised when I finished writing uh, I think two days ago. And then I was like, now what do I do? <laughs> so, but for me, because I'm a pantser, but I still, that doesn't mean that I, I don't like to know where I'm going. I need to have set small goals for myself. So for me every day before I write, I open up my journal. And last week, again, we had also mentioned writing down what we called story, story seeds into your journal. Uh, so you remember them and you could, you know, if you're lacking for ideas or something like that, you can turn to your journal and find them again. Um, I use my journal, my moleskin to pre-write essentially. This is me sitting down and journaling my thoughts and feelings about what I want to accomplish in this writing session what I think happens during this writing session, meaning like, you know, for example, I left off a scene and it it ended on a cliffhanger. So then I, during a pre-writing session the next day, I would sit down and journal what I think happens next. Mm -hmm. And for me, that works best. And I do this by hand because for me, something, the physical act of writing by hand, even though my handwriting has deteriorated horribly. Even over if the it's years. deteriorated, you have gorgeous handwriting. <laughs> Thank you. So even if your handwriting is like, you know, terrible or not what it once was, I really have a ter. I, I can't imagine it being, you know, anything less than, than gorgeous. I have a thing. I really envy people with nice handwriting. <laughs> I don't have nice handwriting. And uh, so, yeah, my husband writes like a serial killer. He writes in really small, small, like, block lettering. It's a little frightening. Anyway, that's a fun aside. Fun aside. Yeah, no, my partner is left-handed. Um, he's mm-hmm. a southpaw and a doctor, so, of course, he's got, like, the doctor scrawl on top of that. But more than that, I actually tend to think his handwriting looks like that of a young child. Mm. <laughs> kind of big and loopy. So, anyway, that aside... I write things out by hand because the physical act of writing 
helps me. It loosens something up in the subconscious part of my brain. And and I think most pantsers do write from a subconscious part of their brain. Um, so any sort of physical movement, taking a walk, standing up, going to the gym, even though I don't have time for it right now, um, writing by hand loosens up all the subconscious plots that are at the back of my head. And what this pre-writing does is that it warms up my writing muscles. I tend to approach writing like a sport. Um, you know, you have to warm up to loosen those muscles to make sure you don't injure yourself. So the pre-writing aspect really, really helps me because I can talk to myself. This is not the words I'm committing to a page. This is just my own notes, my own thoughts, and my own feelings. So that's my first tip for the pantsers among us. Uh, <laughs> um, because the other thing pre-writing does anyway is that it helps me gain momentum. And for me, uh -huh. that's extremely important when it comes to writing. I need forward momentum to keep me going. So that's my tip. Do you have any for us, Kelly? So something that JJ and I were talking about earlier um, is that, you know, she had mentioned plotters versus pantsers and that she's a pantser and, you know, she just explained her whole writing process and how that's um, true. And I have always just assumed that I'm a pantser because I never plan anything out beforehand and, you know, plotting something out beforehand seems like a pretty essential part of being a plotter. And so <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like, well, if I don't ever sit down and plot anything beforehand, then, you know, I must not, I must not be, uh, that type of writer. But, um, lately JJ's like on this string of, of like reframing all my thoughts about my own identity. Um, I'm blowing your mind. You are, you are. <laughs> if you go to her Tumblr right now, you can see, um, a post that she did about the breakdown of the four houses of Hogwarts <laughs> that was partly inspired by an identity crisis that I had where I could not figure out which house I belonged to. Um, so anyway, so, so JJ and I were talking about pantsers versus plotters and she's like, you know, I think that you might be a plotter. And then as much as I resisted, the more that I thought about it, I thought, you know, she might, uh, be right because <laughs> even though I'm not a very good plotter, <laughs> in that I'm not plotting things out beforehand. I don't have, um, you know, nice outlines. I don't, um, you know, with this particular NaNoWriMo project, I really have, the very barest bones of anything. I, my characters don't have names yet. Um, some of the time it, while I'm writing, I've given them like placeholder names that I've come up with, but I really dislike both of them. Um, but I got so sick of typing brother A and brother B, which is literally what was, <laughs> what I was calling them up to a certain point and still kind of how I think of them in my head. Uh, so that I just, I just gave them both like terrible placeholder names. Um, so I have like nothing and I'm just going with it and I find that I'm really struggling. So unlike, you know, if I were truly a pantser, then that act of discovery would come out in the writing and just the sheer act of writing would kind of lead me toward where, toward where I needed to go. Um, and that's just not really working out for me. And so <laughs> what ends up happening is that I get really frustrated because I open my document to write and nothing is coming or the things that are coming are really stale. And I'm just kind of like, continue, like, like everything is suspended. Like I'm writing words 
to write words, but nothing is happening. No one's doing anything or saying anything or, you know, um, we're just kind of infinitely suspended in this moment in the story because I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, and then I just start complaining about it and I start complaining (laughs) about how I don't know what's going on. And, and somehow through the process of looking at what it is that I have and kind of laying out all the pieces, as though they were in front of me, you know, I have this character and that character and I have this event happening and I know that we have to get to this point in the story, this story beat that's upcoming. Sort of by laying that all out, I can start to fit things together kind of like a puzzle and see how things, um, make sense. And so I'm really kind of coming to terms with the fact that maybe I'm a plotter and maybe I should really take the time to invest in that kind of, (laughs) in that kind of (laughs) thinking and activity before I write, because I feel like I'm wasting so much time and words. I mean, words are never wasted in NaNoWriMo because they all count whether they're, um, you know, going to stay in your final manuscript or not. You, you are writing them and they count. So they're not wasted in that sense, but, um, I could be using those words to actually tell my story instead of just kind of treading water. Um, so I'm slowly coming around to that, um, point of view and I'm going to try to take that approach. Um, and for me, I really think that involves, um, you know, actual plotting, actually sitting down and thinking about my story ahead of time and, um, not being quite so intuitive about it. I feel like I'm a really intuitive person and I like to do things emotionally and as they come to me and just, you know, let the divine inspiration, you know, (laughs) hit me. Um, but it's just not happening. (laughs) And and the longer I sit here and wait, it's not, you know, nothing about that is going to change. And so it's really up to me at this point to start saying, well, um, if I'm going to write this story, I'm going to have to start doing some actual work. This also feeds into my thing about how I'm really resistant to research. <laughs> I'm really resistant to research. I just, I don't want to do it. I love research. Like I could get lost, you know, down a Wikipedia rabbit, rabbit hole, you mm. know, or anywhere else in the internet, you just click from one thing to the other and you just read all this stuff. And I love reading, um, you know, nonfiction on a particular topic. Um, I think it's Mark Kurlansky has this epic tome called salt. That's just about like salt. Yes. I've read that. It's amazing. It's fascinating. You know, I I love all of that stuff, but for some reason I'm really like, I really strongly dislike the idea of like researching for, for my writing, which is stupid, by the way. (laughs) I want everyone to know that if you're sitting there nodding your head along with me as I'm talking about this, we're, we're wrong. You and I are, are both wrong. Um, that research is necessary and vital and important, um, for many, many, many reasons. Um, some of which are incidental and some of which are, you know, have much larger importance. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to divorce myself from that feeling that like the research isn't enough. I think there's a part of my brain that thinks I should be enough. Like I should be the source and that, you know, if it's, if it's, if there's something lacking in me that I can't come up with it on my own in my own head, then, you know, there's no amount of research that can save me. That's wrong. (laughs) It's, it's not, 
it's, it's not true and it's not right. And I'm working really hard to, um, to purge myself of that kind of thinking because I really only think that research, uh, will only make my writing better. Um, and so that's going to be part of it too. I'm going to actually have to start doing research, not as a distraction for NaNoWriMo. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll put my research off until NaNoWriMo is done and then revise my manuscript after having done some research. Um, cause right now I'm, I'm a huge procrastinator and I'll look for anything to, uh, to, <laughs> to distract me from the task at hand. Um, but yeah. Well, going to the plotter versus pantser dynamic, um, I did write a post about that, about write, and I consider those writing strategies. Um, you know, you have a pantsing writing strategy or you have a, a plotting, a plotting writing strategy, but they're not either ors. They, they tend to lie on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, for all that I am a pantser, I'm pretty systematic and organized about how I approach things. So, but I still can't plan too in too much detail beforehand. And if you're not sure where on that spectrum of pantsing versus plotting that you lie, the there's I, I wrote on my blog there is a, a Tumblr post by author Jennifer Lynn Barnes. Um, she's a professor at the University of Oklahoma as well as a published YA author. But she was doing some research for one of her classes and um was asking her followers to answer whether or not they believed writing was a process of creation or a process of discovery. And to explain that a little bit, if you believe that the writing is a process of creation, you are the god of your fictional universe. You know every last detail, or you want to know every last detail about your characters, about what happens, um, and your characters never surprise you, I suppose, if you want to put it that way. They don't surprise you. They don't suddenly develop personalities of their own and veer off and do strange things. You, if you are, believe that you are the creator of your fictional universe, you probably tend to fall more on the plotting side. Whereas if you believe writing is an act of discovery, where you... The first draft is get a long date where you're getting to know your characters <laughs> in your world. Because that's what it is for me. For me, when I'm writing the first draft in particular, it's always a first date. I don't necessarily know what my characters are going to do next. I don't know, necessarily know what they're going to say. It's me and the page and what just what they're doing. So... Because of that, because I think act writing, or because for me, writing is an act of discovery, I tend to fall more on the pantsing side of the spectrum. So, uh, again, like I said, this is a, a spectrum, so you're not necessarily either or. This is not like a team planner versus team pantser. It doesn't work like that. But it's just how people approach writing, um, and uh -huh. the way you approach writing should also inform your writing strategy. So I'll put a link to that post when this episode goes live. Um, cause I do have some tips and tricks. Um, mm -hmm. I have a little bit more <laughs> for the pantsers since I'm more familiar with that, but I do have some plotting tendencies myself and, and knowing people who are plotters, um, I've written up some, some tips there too. Mm -hmm. Um, so the other thing about NaNoWriMo that I think is more important than anything else 
more than writing strategy, more than figuring out what kind of writer you are, is consistency. Mm-hmm. For me, I think the point of NaNoWriMo and when I won it, it what it taught me was that in order for me to be able to finish a book, I needed the discipline to do it every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if I didn't hit my word count every day, I spent and made the effort and put out those words because if you don't do it, you're not going to have a book. Mm-hmm. So the consistency is really important. And I tend to function better when I have a schedule mm-hmm. or yeah. if, if something is kind of the same day to day. Um, so I think scheduling the same time every day for NaNoWriMo and sitting in front of your computer, even if you don't write, I think that's incredibly important. Your body gets used to it. You're, you, you're training yourself. You know, when you're at the gym and you're trying to either lose weight or train up for a marathon um, mm-hmm. or any, any sort of physical activity, if you don't do it every day and if you don't do it consistently, you're going to injure yourself or you're never going to complete that goal. Mm-hmm. And writing is very much the same way. You are training your brain and working out is as much a mental game as it is anything else. So the whole idea of physically conditioning yourself is also mentally conditioning yourself. And NaNoWriMo, I think, is also mentally conditioning yourself mm-hmm. to be able you to finish You have to show book. up. You yes. know, that's kind of across the board. If you have a goal that you want to achieve, you have to show up and do the work. And, you know, that's, that's what NaNoWriMo is about. It's getting you to show up every day for one month to do the work and it's okay if the work is shitty and it's okay if the work is not your best work and you're not proud of it and it's not, you know, anything you ever want to show to anyone. Um, the, the point is, is that you show up, you open your word document or your notebook or your whatever, and that you do the work, you write the words down. Um, and that's something that I, <laughs> have recently taken really to heart because I think, uh, it was just yesterday, you know, only on NaNoWriMo day three, where I was really like, you know, I don't know where my story is going. I don't really feel great about it. I don't know my, the names of my characters. This is really frustrating. Everything that I write is not something, you know, that I think is good enough and on and on and on. And I was like, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll just stop and just try again later or that, you know, I'll keep working on it, but that I don't have to try to win. You know, I can just kind of do it whenever and scattered throughout the month. And really immediately like on day three was already trying to talk myself out of it. Um, and I got some tough love from JJ. <laughs> and I'm, it's really the you know, only kind of love you get from me. You don't, it's true. You don't get cuddly <laughs> love from me. <laughs> I'm, I am in it to win it, though. And she was right. And that was her, you know, that's what her advice essentially boiled down to. She was like, well, you can quit, but then you won't have a novel. And a really shitty novel that sucks is a lot better than the novel that you didn't write. And uh, I can't argue with that. I would rather have a really, really shitty, shitty novel uh, than have no novel at all. So 
mm-hmm. that there's really truth to that, that you just have to come in and, uh, and do the work. And I find, um, for myself that, uh, making it really a, a built in part of my routine in my day and almost, um, like a ritual really helps me. So I always write at the same times, um, mm-hmm. throughout the day. Um, my main writing time is in the evening. Um, after I put my daughter to bed, I get my laptop, I get an alcoholic beverage and <laughs> I get my laptop and I sit down, um, on the couch, um, and I write and, that's, you know, that's what I do. My daughter goes down at seven o'clock by seven Oh five. I'm in that spot with all my stuff and I'm writing until nine thirty ten. 10. Um, I also try to write during my lunch hour at work. Um, so I have to take a lunch hour every day. So I will eat my lunch. Sometimes I'll take a brief walk and then I'll shut my office door. And sometimes I do writing then. Sometimes I just take notes and think about my story, kind of depending on um, how things go. But I think building it into my day, knowing that during those times I am scheduled to be writing. And everyone knows that I'm scheduled to be writing. You know, when I'm on my lunch break, I shut my door mm-hmm. at my office um, so people aren't just stopping by to chat. I, you know, my husband knows it is on our shared Google (laughs) calendar that I am going to be writing every month for the, you know, the month of November. And he knows that. And so, um, you know, he either, he's started NaNoWriMo too, which is pretty, which is pretty fun. Um, he's going to eclipse me in words like any second now, if he's out there writing right now while I'm doing this podcast, then I'm screwed. Uh, (laughs) A little, a little marital competition is healthy. Um, but you know, he knows. And so he's either writing with me or he is, um, you know, doing other stuff or giving me the space to write. And I rearrange my day to fit that in, you know, like JJ said, Mm -hmm. um, some things have to slide, um, which is unfortunate, but it's just a month. It's not the rest of your life. You know, if something has to slide for a month, then it does. And, and you pick it back up later. Um, so I try to do, all my chores and all that stuff earlier in the evening, you know, when I first get home from work, um, you know, David might, Mm -hmm. uh, start making dinner for our daughter while I run around and do the things that I need to do so that I can have that writing time uninterrupted. Um, so I really think you need to like create a process and a space and then be really respectful of it. Treat it like it's an actual commitment on your calendar, um, that you need to be held accountable for. Think about right people, have this romantic image of writing as something that you're inspired to do, that is art, that a muse comes in and and tells you what to write and takes you by the hand and, you know, guides you through the creation of of a book. But that's not what writing is. Writing is not an art. It's a craft. And Mm -hmm. I tend to equate writing often with working out, uh, Writing and working out are far more similar than people think, by the way, because both require discipline and movement. Um, the other thing I often compare writing to when I was in high school, I was in a visual arts conservatory. I, this was something that my, my particular high school provided for its students. You had to audition to get in. Um, but these were sort of after school programs where you worked specifically on an art form uh, to build up a portfolio, generally for um, an AP art portfolio or uh, or AP photography 
or, you know, some, or get college credit. And this was about two hours every day after school. And I like, I've always liked art. And, um, in fact, that was sort of the quote artistic talent that defined me visual arts growing up more than writing. But what I learned most from visual arts conservatory is you doing it every day matters more than being inspired without doing it every day. I didn't have a portfolio that I could submit to the AP board. There's also, I don't, it's, it's like an internet meme, but there's a story Uh about this teacher who divided his pottery class into two groups and told one that by the end of the semester, they needed to have one perfect piece of pottery and told the other group that it didn't matter. Um, they didn't need to do a, you know, one perfect piece. They just had to do as many as possible. And do you know which group produced the better works of pottery? The ones who had quantity over quality. Yes. Because it was practice. Because (laughs) Mm -hmm. they made mistakes, but because they didn't have to worry about making the one, Mm -hmm. they could throw away the one that they'd made a mistake, stick, you know, put it back in the kneading trough and do it again and do it again, learning from their mistakes. And by the end of the semester, they may have made 30 imperfect ones, but they... That on that that thirty first pot that they've thrown was perfect. Mm-hmm. So, and that was the same with me and art. You know, there's talent, and then there's skill. And talent certainly gives people a leg up on in certain areas, but talent is also fickle and inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Skill is not. Skill is something you learn and you build upon and you improve upon. So. Any artistic endeavor is going to be an intersection between talent and skill, um, and skill is the one you can work on. You cannot get by on talent alone. No. Mm-mm. So think of writing not as an art form, but as a craft. You know, you have, in, in, in the old, you know, old days, ye olden days, you had guilds, craft guilds, you know, mm-hmm. furniture makers or iron workers. You started as an apprentice. And you learn the skills, and then you became a journeyman. And those with extreme talent and dedication and vision became masters. And that's what writing is. You start as an apprentice, you become a journeyman, and you know you're in it long enough. And one day you'll become a master. So that that is more important. If if nano is hard because the writing is terrible or the prose is clunky. All of that can be fixed. That's all skills you can learn so you can fix it later. Mm-hmm. You have to do the work before you can learn to do anything. Mm-hmm. So those are my motivational pep talks <laughs> for the middle of the month. Um, I do have a couple of tools um, that I use that are actually pretty helpful for uh, writing. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the Pomodoro method. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but basically it divides your time up um, into blocks. So I have the Pomodoro app on my phone and on my computer, but it divides your time. You know, say you want to write for two hours. It will, you know, you will write for 25 hours or 25 hours. You will write for 25 (laughs) minutes and take a break for five. Mm -hmm. Then write for another 25 minutes, take another break for five. And it divides 
your time up into something more manageable. Because I know for me, when I think, oh God, I have two hours to do this, I freeze. I think that's so much time. I don't know what to do with it or that's not enough time. But I can concentrate on something for 25 minutes at a time. And so that's the Pomodoro app. Um, instead of me having to remind myself every 25 minutes to take a five minute break, it just does it. It, you know, it counts down and it dings mm-hmm. at me and tells me, okay, time to take a break or time to start work. So that's, that's the tool I most recommend for people. Um, I use it actually at my day job as well. <laughs> I, um, set my, my Pomodoro to, I don't know, four hours and it, I, it allows me to take five minute breaks because what it does is it actually reminds me to get up. Mm-hmm. You know, I sit all day at my job. So every 25 minutes, it dings, it goes off. I walk around. Usually what I do is I go get a glass of water or go to the bathroom or whatever mm-hmm. on those five minute breaks. So I, I highly recommend this for people. It's not just for writing. Um, it could be applied to nearly anything, sort of any long task that you need to do. So... That's that's my first tool. I don't know. Do you have any tools that you want to shout out and give a call out to? Um, I have been um, sort of doing Twitter sprints mm-hmm. um, since I heard about them. Um, the Twitter... What is the actual uh, Twitter username? I'm trying to find it right now. It's... Oh, it's Nano, it's Nano Word Sprints. Um, okay, so yeah. at Nano Word Sprints. Um, if you follow them, um, and it will just, I, I really like the community or like having, you know, cheerleaders or having other people down in the trenches with me. Um, because I feel like I get sucked into this like panicky brain space where I feel really isolated and alone and struggling, you know, with my writing by myself. And so it helps me to feel like there's other people doing the same thing. Um, so I like nano word sprints. Um, it's just, you know, on Twitter, the account will post a starting time and they can run anywhere from five minutes, 10, 30 minutes. Um, and the Twitter account will just kind of encourage you as you go. They often include a little prompt. Um, I haven't used any of the prompts, um, at this point in time so far. They had a Hamilton themed one. I saw that was amazing. <laughs> I want to do like just separate Hamilton fanfic. Maybe, maybe <laughs> Hamilton fanfic should have been my NaNoWriMo if we're going to be completely honest, <laughs> but it's not, I didn't think of it in time. And, uh, so yeah, but, um, sometime they offer a prompt, um, and usually, you know, people will have kind of themed prompts. So Hamilton, you know, there was one earlier today where they were doing, um, Oh, what's the name of the painter with the happy little trees, Bob, something. I can't remember. Yes. Bob Ross. (laughs) They were doing all Bob Ross themed, uh, prompts earlier today. Um, so I don't ever use the prompts, but I like the idea of okay, I'm really going to focus for this 20 minute period and pour all of my energy into getting as many words out as possible. And then when they call time, you can, um, tweet to them and tell them how many words you wrote in that span. And everybody's kind of all in it together. So I really like that sense of community. Um, that really, I, I, that kind of encouragement and that kind of, um, just support, uh, I find really invaluable, 
in anything that I'm doing, in writing, in anything else, I'm the kind of person who really likes to, um, to, to know that I'm not alone, that there are other people who've gone before me. Um, there will be other people who come after me. You know, I'm, I'm a part of something larger. Um, I just kind of like that, that sense of stuff. (laughs) There are Twitter hashtags that I think are pretty useful. Um, Justina Ireland, she, her username is, I think it's to awesome race. I'll write it down. Um, but she hosts, um, a hashtag called Kidlit nano, and she is really good about encouraging writers and, and, you know, motivating them through. So, and I mean, we at pub crawl can certainly create a hashtag for a nano sprint. If that's what people want, um, like an hour of, you know, just sitting mm-hmm. down and everybody contributing or participating in this hashtag. Um, so th- those are all resources, having that community. Um, this past weekend, I went to Greensboro um, and met up with some writers, and we had a nano sit-in where we sat at a coffee shop and, and wrote. Mm-hmm. So having a community is certainly pretty important, I think, because, you know, writing can be a solitary process. And unlike a lot of other professions, it doesn't necessarily have a lot of instantaneous feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're kind of working on it, and you're, when you're done, you're, you're kind of sending it off into the void. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. It, it, you know what? Writing is an act of bravery, to be completely honest. It's, it is. I think it's an act of bravery. Every other art form that I've participated in that I do... Music, art, photography, all of that you can have instantaneous feedback on. Um, as soon as I sketch little things and I can post it on Instagram and somebody can remark on it. If I play a piece, somebody can listen to me play it as I'm doing it. But writing, it's incredibly hard to do that. Mm-hmm. So having a community who is commiserating with you, I think, is, is pretty important. Um Oh, I have, I have another tool for writers. Uh, there is a writer named Mer Lafferty, and she hosts two writing-themed podcasts. One is titled, I Should Be Writing, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty great. Um, and this is sort of for beginner writers, for people who need you know encouragement and love and motivation to keep going. She has done a series of NaNoWriMo-themed podcasts before. Uh-huh. Um, which I'll put a link to, and you guys can peruse all of those. Um, But she's also, she has a Patreon, so if you want to contribute like a dollar, you know, per month to her Patreon, I believe every day this month she is providing a podcast for her Patreon supporters, for NaNoWriMo. So, you know, if if that helps too, I think that's a pretty great resource. I think Mer's podcast is pretty great um she has been in the trenches for a very long time so she's sort of seen it from when she was an aspiring writer and now she's a contracted writer her other podcast is an offshoot of i should be writing and it's called ditch diggers and it's kind of once you go from being an amateur to a pro writer the the game does change, mm-hmm. you know. When you're when you're just writing for yourself, it's one thing. But when you are writing and getting paid for it, the stakes change. 
And so the Ditch Diggers podcast is more for, for professional writers. Um, but they're both excellent, and I highly recommend them. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my other tool for you guys, you know, if, as opposed to just listening to us. I know. I have a podcast, <laughs> other podcasts. too, to recommend. Um, mm-hmm. So I've recommended before, um, I think one of the first things I recommended on one of our first podcast episodes was this podcast called Dusted. Um under the Story Wonk umbrella. Uh, Story Wonk is Lonnie Diane Rich and Alistair Stevens. Um, and they do multiple podcasts. Um, and they did a series of podcasts last year in 2014 for NaNoWriMo. And they did one for every day. Um, just talking about, you know, motivation and writing and tips and tricks and you know, just getting you through the whole month, um, of NaNoWriMo. And so it's, you know, it's from last year. They're not doing it again this year. Um, but the archives are all still up. You can still listen to all of them. Um, and I've been doing that as well, listening to those. And I find those really helpful. So we'll put up a link to those as well. All right. I think that more or less wraps up our tips and tricks for this week, unless we have any final thoughts or anything else that we want to include. No, I think that's it. You know, show up, do your work. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so then, uh, are we reading anything during Nanobiome Month, or are we just focused on writing? I um, did read um, one or two things, uh, but I have not done too much more since then. Um, but I read, um, I think, started on Halloween and then crossed over into the first day of NaNoWriMo, uh, I read Zeros uh, oh, by Scott, Scott Westerfeld. Westerfeld and then um, also Margo, Margo Lanigan and Deborah mm, Biancotti. Biancotti. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read that, uh, which came through from the library. Um, and I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. thought it was great. And then that's it. I'm still slowly working my way through Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm-hmm. But I talked about that at length before. Um, but mostly I don't think I'll be doing too much more reading lately. Time is at a premium and, uh, no matter how fast I read, I can't, I can't justify, (laughs) justify that at the moment. Uh, well, before NaNoWriMo started, I was rereading Harry Potter, um, which I hadn't done in a while. So I am thoroughly enjoying it. And also because I am writing middle grade, um, I, I was sort of trying to take some inspiration for it from it. And then I just would get sucked up in the story and, and mm-hmm. kind of forget to, <laughs> to look at it from a slightly more uh, research-oriented perspective. But right now I am almost done with Order of the Phoenix. Um, and and the, re- the other reason I like rereading Harry Potter is because I already know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't have to necessarily pay attention so hard. And so this is just pure... This is my equivalent of sitting down and watching an episode of television to mm-hmm. zone out. I'm rereading Harry Potter. Um, and on audio, I am listening to Me Talk Pretty One Day. Oh, so good. It is so good. Uh, Me Talk Pretty One Day by David Sedaris, <laughs> who is honestly... I mean, humor is hard to do in writing Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, humor is extremely difficult and there are a lot of humorists whose books I will read who I think are in fact, you know, very observant Mm -hmm. and and, it's clever, Mm -hmm. but I don't actually laugh out loud. I have (laughs) laughed 
out loud, like in public, sniggered so hard reading a, pretty much all of David Sedaris's stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he reads them. David Sedaris uh, narrates his own essays in Me Talk Pretty One Day. Um, and the, and you know the other funny thing is, so I, and I read these. I read Me Talk Pretty One Day a while ago, but um, I just you know rereading an audio now. And he grew up in North Carolina, which is the state I live in now. Um, and he talks about people from Winston Salem, which is the city I live in. And I was like, oh, I know what he's talking about now. I have context for, for some of the things he says. And he, and he talks about his speech therapy teacher having a Western North Carolina accent, and then he'll say it. And I'm like, I recognize that now. People around me talk like that. Um, and then there's this hilarious story about, uh, it's called City of Angels, where he's talking about this woman from Greensboro, which is, you know, the next uh-huh. town over from me, Greensboro, who comes to visit New York. Um, and she came to visit New York to do this, and she's kind of like the nightmare tourist. Um, and and it, I have so much more context now, so it, it's that much funnier for me to listen to these series of essays. But I always, when he, when he, the sections when he gets to France and then starts learning to speak French, especially for, for people for whom English was not their first language or is not their only language, it is Mm -hmm. extremely hilarious. My mother and I quote me talk pretty one day at each other constantly. (laughs) So that, that's what I'm reading. So, I mean, obviously, we are working on Anna Rimo. It's a great book. He's phenomenal. <laughs> he's, mm-hmm. he's so good. Um, what's, what are some other great... Holidays on Ice, of course, is, is fantastic. Holidays on Ice is a ritual for me, so I have the auto, audiobook, and um, whenever I wrap Christmas presents, which is usually at the last minute, um, <laughs> I... Well, I really love to wrap Christmas presents, and I like to do it, or presents of any kind, birthday, whatever. Um, I like to do it well, um, and I... It, but it's usually, you know, for me at the last minute, and I'll set aside, like, five hours to wrap every single present that I have to wrap, and I'll listen to Holidays on Ice while I do it. <laughs> That's like my yearly Christmas tradition, because um, those are just, they're excellent. I was going to mention, was it, I think the title of it is Six to Eight Black Men. Yes. Um, is probably my favorite, um, when he is talking about the Christmas traditions in the Netherlands versus the Christmas traditions in America. Um, mm-hmm. And the title refers to St. Nicholas apparently in the Netherlands has a retinue of black servants. I mean, historically, I think they were slaves. Yes. Um, but over time they've sort of kind of been softened, I guess, or into being servants kind of anyway. But the funny thing about that is if you kind of ask is that it's, always six to eight black men. It's not like seven. It's not eight. Mm -hmm. It's not six. It's always that St. Nicholas travels around with six to eight uh, black men. Um, It is just a a really funny, funny essay. And he just has this wonderfully wry, self-deprecating 
way of looking at life. And I, he, he's probably the only one who's ever made me laugh out loud. I mean, Mm -hmm. I will, I will smirk and I will chuckle at a lot of the work of other humorists, but you know, actually like full on belly laugh is extremely Mm -hmm. rare. Yeah, he's phenomenal. And I agree. He's one of the few writers that will make me laugh out loud, uh, anytime. Um, I've seen him give live readings. I've attended two of his readings twice. Um, and the first time I only sort of, you know, I had read me talk pretty one day. Um, but that was the only thing that I'd read and I was in college and I was having the worst day. Everything that could possibly have gone wrong was going wrong. I, it was just in a really horrible time in my life. Everything was just, you know, and I had, uh, purchased a ticket to go with my friend who she was the one who really wanted to go and asked me if I'd go along. And I was like, oh, well, sure. I guess I've read one of his books, you know, it's fine. And then the day of the reading came and I, I didn't want to leave the house and she had to drag me (laughs) to go see him. And it was honestly the, the best thing that I could have done because, and I mean, I went in there and I sat in the audience and I like folded my arms and slumped over (laughs) like a cranky teenager who was, you know, being forced, forced to have fun against her will. Um, but it did not take me long to break at all. It was wonderful. Um, I had, I laughed until I cried that night and pretty much have ever, every time since I've ever read anything of his. And he is one for the audiobooks for sure. If you're going to, uh, listen to anything on audio, he is an excellent, uh, narrator of his own work. <laughs> it's, it's kind of awkward because I, I listen to this while I'm at my, at my job. And, and <laughs> oh, I couldn't. It's too dangerous. It's, it's, it is kind of awful because I'm there at my desk sniggering i'm just sniggering trying so hard not to laugh out loud but just sniggering i gave myself hiccups earlier today because (laughs) i was listening to it and trying not to laugh and ultimately ended up giving myself hiccups um so those are all excellent i definitely recommend david stairs especially this time Uh of year for me um, because yes. it's so rough. You need a little levity. I, I need I need something to make me laugh. And um, the holidays on ice is, is definitely seasonally appropriate since mm-hmm. they're all Christmas-themed. Um, so I think that's what we're reading. Um, have we been consuming any other bits of culture or media um, that isn't necessarily books? That isn't necessarily books? Um no, not really. I mean, nothing, nothing new, nothing. It's all NaNoWriMo yeah, right now I know. for me. I mean, yeah, it's pretty much it. Yeah, Inktober is over, so I'm now moving fully into NaNoWriMo. It's pretty mm-hmm. much my own only creative endeavor. Although I'm pretty proud of the Hogwarts Matrix that I came up with. <sighs> I am pretty proud to have spurred you to make it. So <laughs> I'm glad I could I could frustrate you enough that you needed to prove me wrong. See, and you did. I wasn't frustrated. I don't really no, get frustrated. Cause... I'm just like, no, nope, sorry, you are incorrect. We need to, to correct this misperception of who you are. <laughs> because you are a Ravenclaw yes. and I am not. So the, the, the basic problem was that all of my close friends and family sort me as Ravenclaw. 
Um, and so that was my sister, my best friend, um, all the people that, you know, I kind of grew up with that have known me since early childhood sort me as Ravenclaw. And then I myself had a sinking suspicion that I was Hufflepuff, um, until my sister said to me, well, don't get offended, but Hufflepuffs are really hardworking and you're, you're just not, <laughs> she's, she's just like, you're just not the kind of person that I associate with, you know, someone who work has a really great work ethic now. I have a good work ethic, but, um, but I enjoy my leisure time. Let's, <laughs> let's put it that way. Uh, and so she was right. And so I tend to think of, but I think because, um, JK Rowling spent the least amount of time with Hufflepuffs, uh, mm -hmm. they kind of get the shaft in the book. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like everyone kind of has a different perception of who or what they are. And so I was always thinking them, of them as like the really genial house, the house that kind of avoids confrontation. There's just a nice kinda, like, house. Yeah. You know, and I just kind of felt like, I don't know that that's just where I'm very conflict avoidant. And so I was like, well, I'll just, you know, I'll be a Hufflepuff. Uh, but no. And then JJ, uh, feels very, very strongly that I'm a Gryffindor. The more that she talks about it and the more Tumblr posts she creates about it, I think she's probably right <laughs> about that. Um, but so I was having like an identity crisis, which is kind of embarrassing. I feel like everybody knows which Hogwarts house they're supposed to be in. I feel like there's usually not that degree. I, I know some people who are who like hem and haw over two houses, mm -hmm. you know, who are like, oh, I could be this one or I could be that one. But for somebody to just have three that they, <laughs> they can't choose between, that's a little embarrassing for me to be like, yeah, I, I just don't know which which house I'm in. So I think I'm I'm. I think I'm a Gryffindor. I think I've been convinced. You react to things the way a Gryffindor reacts to things, for <laughs> sure. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I, I like sorting. <laughs> I like sorting people into houses. I'm actually pretty good at it. Most people tend to agree with me after I tell them you're in this house and why. <laughs> um, ultimately, because again, it comes down to this sort of systems building that I like to do. I like mm -hmm. to sort information. I like to analyze it and I like to organize information in a way that makes sense to me and easy to understand. So the, for me, the Hogwarts houses are not necessarily the external traits JK Rowling assigns them. Like Gryffindors are mm -hmm. quote brave. Slytherins are cunning. Ravenclaws are clever. Hufflepuffs, <laughs> poor Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff has gotten, uh, nice, hardworking, loyal. <laughs> um, unlike the other three, they don't have necessarily the set characteristics, but those are, in my opinion, external traits or external manifestations of what I consider the core value of each house. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll put a link to my Hogwarts matrix, but essentially, Oh yes, you will <laughs> essentially, do the world a favor <laughs> and y'all can sort yourselves. But ultimately, you can answer which house you're in, or you can figure out which house you're in by answering two questions. One, mm -hmm. are you governed by morality or are you governed by ethics? And to explain this a little bit, morality and ethics, uh, morality is a, a sense of right and wrong. You know, mm -hmm. there's something is right 
and something is wrong on a deep instinctual level. Whereas people who are governed by ethics, it's not necessarily about right and wrong. It's more about whether or not something is correct or incorrect. And those laws govern what govern best practices. Mm-hmm. So are you governed? So do you think things are right and wrong or do you think things are correct and incorrect? So if you think things are right and wrong, you are either Gryffindor or Hufflepuff. If you think things are correct or incorrect, you are either Slytherin or Ravenclaw. So that's the first question you answer. The second question is, are you internally validated or externally validated? Gryffindors are externally validated. Slytherins are also externally valid, whereas Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw are internally validated. So those are the two questions you answer, and based on that, you can sort of figure out which house you're in. But if you're still unsure, like if you're not sure if you're defined by, you know, or if you're governed by morality or ethics, if you're not necessarily sure whether or not you're internally or externally validated, then the other question you ask is, what is my core value? Is it justice? Is it success? Is it fairness? Or is it knowledge? And depending on that, you can figure out where it is. Gryffindors value justice. They... And in order, and you know, if you think about Hermione in Harry Potter, Hermione is always thought of as being, oh, she could be a Ravenclaw because she's smart. No, 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 no. <laughs> Hermione is definitely a Gryffindor. Hermione is the one who champions for house elf rights. She sees injustice and she wants to to correct it. Hermione is also externally validated. She needs the confirmation of her good grades. <laughs> she needs to get those good grades. It doesn't, you know, I'm. If she were internally validated, it wouldn't matter to her, but it does matter to her that she has that external validation. That's why she is Gryffindor. So I, I, I explain it more in, in the post, but that, that was like when I was talking to Kelly, she's like, I think I'm Ravenclaw. I was like, you are not Ravenclaw. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what all my friends, I mean, and it was really confusing because these are people who've known me my whole life, who know me really intimately, who know, you know, have seen me evolve and change over the 33 years that I've been alive. And they are, I mean, unmoved I don't. I actually don't know if either of them have seen your um, your matrix, but <laughs> I'll send it to them and see what they think. But they are staunchly like, "Nope, you're a Ravenclaw." And at one point, and and this is admittedly unfair. While JJ and I were having this initial conversation before she turned it into this Tumblr post and these graphics, we were having this conversation on GChat, and I was simultaneously GChatting with my sister relaying the conversation back to her and she was like you sound like such a ravenclaw right now and jj was like well that's because you're just telling her what i'm telling you (laughs) (laughs) so it's not you're not honestly that you don't sound like a ravenclaw because the source of information is not coming from you and that was true too so i don't know i'll send it to them i'll see what they think um but i i am very impressed uh by your breakdown and um I think I think you've convinced me I'm a I'm a Gryffindor. I think. I think the I the question down. is, do you value not do you value knowledge for knowledge's sake? No. Yeah, that's <laughs> why mean, you're I not do. Ravenclaw. <laughs> I do like I like, but that's not true. Like that's not true. Like I, of course, I do, and I love learning things, and you know, whatever else. But um, in terms but, of if you were to rank 
justice, fairness, knowledge, and success. What's the one? See, I feel like this is where it always gets weird. So Pottermore and not only just Pottermore, the official one, but every other online sorting quiz that you can find always sorts me into Ravenclaw without exception. Um, and I think it's because <laughs> like I hear these questions where I'm supposed to, you know, pick the ultimate thing and I'm not gaming the system. I've done that before where you can like, you know, select the answers that you know are going to get you to the result that you want. I'm not doing that. It's just that I start to overthink it. And I'm like, well, what does justice really mean? And like, what, what kind of justice are we really talking about in what context? And how is justice really different from fairness? And then and I like get in my head and I devolve and devolve and devolve until nothing makes sense anymore. And I just pick something. Um, and so I feel like you're going to start asking me these questions and I'm going to like not give the answers that are that would be characteristic of a Gryffindor. But I feel like if you talk to me and you don't listen to the words that I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> and just like purely view the reactions or the things that cause me to react or, um, the ways in which I react to things and the things that motivate me as a person, um, then I think it's pretty clearly Gryffindor. I think you just can't ask me. I just get, I just get too, I don't know. Confused isn't the right word. Just overwhelmed with, with you know, trying to um, to distill my identity down into, like, a specific thing. I don't know. And then there's also a fear of getting it wrong. I want to get the answer yeah, right. Yeah, that's the external validation. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll link to this and you guys can all... Can all figure this out for yourselves. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> I'm I'm but, pretty good at yeah. this. It's also like the Myers Briggs personality test. Mm -hmm. um, I'm generally pretty good about figuring out who is what, um, mm -hmm. because again, Myers Briggs ultimately comes down to four questions. Right. So. Sorting yourself into the Hogwarts houses it really comes down to two and a half questions. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if there's a correlation between your Myers-Briggs and your Hogwarts house. I mean, in theory, there must be, but I don't I know. think there, it, Gryffindors are certainly NFs, um, intuitive feelers, which is mm -hmm. funny because that's actually my Myers-Briggs type. I am an NF as well. Um, Me too. INFP I, is what I am. I'm an INFJ. Um, and Ravenclaws, I think, are NTs, intuitive thinkers. Mm -hmm. um, which also makes sense a bit for me because I do straddle the INFJ and INTJ line pretty closely. Mm -hmm. And I think Hufflepuffs are SPs and Slytherins are SJs. So that's kind of like the basic correlation. But obviously, like, I'm an INFJ and I'm a Ravenclaw, even though I think most NFs are in Gryffindor. Right, so, right. You know. And of course, you know, things vary. It all depends. <laughs> it is the choices we make, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can now that I've made that Hogwarts Matrix and I'm rereading Harry Potter, I can see exactly why he could almost be Slytherin. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's funny. My friend Chris, who 
thinks that I'm staunchly a Ravenclaw is a Gryffindor and he sorts himself as Gryffindor and I sort him as Gryffindor. Everybody would. But I also said to him, but you're almost Slytherin. And he's like, I think so too. <laughs> he's like, not to cast myself as the protagonist of the series. <laughs> he's like, but I think I, I could go the other way. So yeah. I think, of all the Hogwarts houses I'm closest, I can't tell if, if I wasn't Ravenclaw, because I'm so squarely in the middle of Ravenclaw, it's like I can't possibly be any other house. Um, the other house, maybe, that I'm kind of close to is Hufflepuff. Maybe. Because I think when it comes to my value system, I value knowledge first. I think knowing things is half the battle. For me, that's that's the most important thing. But the other thing I value is fairness. I think mm-hmm. being fair is is good. So I, I kind of straddle that line. Um, but ultimately, I also kind of don't care about people as a whole. <laughs> 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 this is why you never get anything but tough love from me. I'm not <sighs> very JJ does not <laughs> is not one to coddle. You do not go her, to go to JJ if you want someone to pet your hair and tell you that it's going to be okay. I'll do that for you. But uh but nope, JJ's going to be like, "Fine. Ruin your whole life. I don't care." It's, it's up to you. You do what you're going to do. Just be a disgrace. <laughs> Throw away all your potential. Not my problem. <laughs> Jeez. Don't say it that way, though. <laughs> I think you read it that way, but I don't actually say no, it that way. No, 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 no. It's not. You're not. You're by no means cruel whatsoever. Um, you know, ever. I, I, it's, it's for just me, very... it works better. Tough love works better because mm-hmm. if you are not, because I am internally validate, validated, if I don't want to do something, then I'm not going to do it. And if I want to do something and don't do it, there's no one else. It's no one else's fault, but my own. Mm-hmm. I don't make excuses for myself. So I'm not going to make excuses for anyone who asks for my advice. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say, Oh, it's okay. Life has been really hard. Blah, 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 blah. And of course right. there are extenuating circumstances, you know, life happens and it can be horrible sometimes, but for me, the internal validation thing, if I fail, it's not on anyone but me. So if you're like, well, if someone comes up to me and says, well, I didn't do this, I didn't. Um, and when people come up to me and say, oh, I would totally write a book if I had the time. And I said, well, and my advice would be, well, you have the time. You just don't want to write a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't want it badly enough. And that's perfectly fine. If it's not something that you value, then you're not going to make time for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, I mean, and I, I think you're right. I think that's a truth. I think that's a hard truth. I think that the people who come up to you saying, oh, I'd write a book if I had time are not expecting that answer, but it's probably the answer they need to hear. Cause if that's not going to get them to make the time, then nothing is. Yeah. I mean, and it's again, it's not, I'm not judging them for it. It's not a inherently good or bad thing. You know, if they don't want to write, if they don't prioritize writing a book, then Sure. You have other priorities in their life. You have your family. You have your job. You have, mm-hmm. I don't know, working out something. You have another hobby. You know, you may prioritize something more than your writing, and that is perfectly fine. But if you want to be a writer, then you have to prioritize it. You have to sacrifice something if you can't fit it all in. And some people can. I admire people who are able to fit 
everything that they are passionate about in because I can't. Something always has to give. Like like I said, this month, it's the gym. <laughs> and I do enjoy working out, but this month, it's it's the gym. So, yeah, tough love. If So if any of y'all want, like, a, kick, a swift kick in the pants, um, <laughs> definitely come to me because I'll give it to you. I won't be mean to you, but I'm not going to say nice things. I'm not going to be like, everything's going to be okay. They just don't recognize your genius. Um, you know what? The, the world is not fair. <laughs> if it, if it, the world is not a meritocracy, so the only thing to get around the fact that it's not a meritocracy is to work your ass off. <laughs> I think that's, that's the only answer. <laughs> so that is somewhat of a of a downer pep note, I think, for you guys. But again, <laughs> like I said, it's not. I, I don't have it in me to be to be all cuddly. <laughs> All right, that's it for this week. I think for next week we'll open it up to questions if people have questions. Do you think that's mm-hmm. a good idea? Yeah, let's answer some questions. Um, if you guys don't have any questions, then we can certainly give another pep talk if necessary. Uh, another swift kick in the pants from me. Um, you know, we can play good cop, bad cop. <laughs> I can be cuddly. I can be cuddly next week if we don't have any questions. Or even if we do have questions. But if you have questions about... NaNoWriMo about our project, specifically about a problem in your project, about, you know, you're stuck and you need motivation to keep going. Any pro- any question that you might have uh, for us on the subject of NaNoWriMo or drafting in general, let us know. As always, if you want more, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Pickle, or the podcast provider of your choice. Also, if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance, as it helps other listeners find the podcast. If you want more pub crawl goodness, you can go to our website, publishingcrawl.com, where we have many more posts and articles about various aspects of reading, writing, and the publishing industry. You can also follow us on Twitter at pubcrawlblog, as well as Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at publishingcrawl. You can follow me, JJ, at sjjones, that, that's S-J-A-E. J-O-N-E-S on Twitter or my website, sjjones.com. And you can follow me, Kelly, at bookishchick on Twitter or Instagram. Our theme music is Quirky Dog by Kevin McLeod, and our logo is designed by Aaron Bowman, author of Vengeance Road, available now wherever books are sold. If you have any further questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to email us at publishingcrawl at gmail.com or send us an ask through Tumblr. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. And she was like, you sound like such a fucking obnoxious Ravenclaw right now. And JJ was like, well, that's because I'm the source of the information. <laughs> You're just sending it over to her. Also, I swore. Whoops. It's this okay. We can bleep it out. family friendly. Yeah, we'll bleep it. We'll bleep it. Or we can um, tag it as be explicit. It's fine. Yeah.